are listening to New City Sermon Podcast. We hope you're empowered and challenged as we root deep into God's word in order that we might grow in the good news of King Jesus and live as faithful citizens of his kingdom right here in our city. Let's get into the scriptures now. I'm not just saying that God is good. He really is good. It really is true. God is a good God. His character is good. His purposes for you are good. He has good promises for his people. He has good intentions for this world and his plans for this church are good because he is a good God. Amen. You know, the Christian life is challenging most of the time, if not all the time. And as we follow Jesus, sometimes we forget about God's goodness for us because we're trying to focus on being good for God. You ever get there? You're you're trying to put forth effort for God and do what God says. And sometimes we focus on the good that God wants from us that we forget that God has goodness for us. He has good promises for us. He wants us to celebrate his good character that we get to partake in. And today, as we continue our series in the fruit of the spirit, we're gonna be looking at the fruit of the spirit of peace and self-control, but mainly goodness, because God is good. And that's what Peter wants us to get in 2 Peter chapter one. And as we go through this passage, these these, uh, 10 or 11 verses, I want you to look and reflect on God's goodness, amen? Here we go, 2 Peter chapter one, verse two through 11. May grace and peace be multiplied to you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has given us everything required for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. By these he has given us very great and precious promises so that through them you may share in the divine nature, escaping the corruption that is in the world because of evil desire. For this reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with goodness, goodness with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with endurance, endurance with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being useless or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. The person who lacks these things is blind and short-sighted and has forgotten the cleansing from his past sins. Therefore, brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election because if you do these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, entry into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be richly provided for you. The word of God. I'm gonna ask um, Chad, would you just stand from the back and pray for us? You got a sleeping baby, he can't do that. Some would be willing to stand and pray. Any bold people? All right, go ahead, sister.
Amen. When I walk through the front door at the end of the day and I open that door, sometimes there are three little humans waiting for me as soon as I open that door and I can't even get inside before they're talking to me. You that have gone through that, you know what I'm talking about. You still got your bag and you can't even step foot over the doorway before the little humans approach and start talking. But sometimes I'll, I'll enter in and they're oblivious to the fact that I've come home because they're distracted by a book or by coloring or usually when they're distracted, it's television. And I'll walk in and no one knows that I'm there and I'll go, hey everybody, uh, how was your day? And I get this one word answer every time. When I ask, how was your day? What do they say? Good. It was good. Good. It reminds me, I used to live with a family and they had two little boys and one of their little boys was four years old. And when he would come home from school, I would always try and engage him. And whatever I asked him, whatever question I asked him, he would say goods. So I would say, how how was your day? Good. What'd you learn? Good. Did you talk to any of your friends? Good. And he, it was just humorous because he really had lost the meaning of the word good. And sometimes I think we have as well because we, we use that word a lot. We say things are no good or there's good vibes or he's a, he's a good little boy or it's a good sign. We use that word a lot. Uh, and even the way we use the word good can matter. So if, if I were to ask you, how was last night? And you were to say, it was good. That means it was fantastic. But if I say, how was it? And you say, it was good. That means it was okay. But if I say, how was it? And you go, it was good. That means it wasn't good at all, right? And so we use that word good in so many different ways and, and uh, we've lost a lot of the meaning of it. But this morning, as we look uh, at the fruit of the spirit of goodness and self-control, and peace, I just wanna remind you that God is good. And he's never not good. He really is good all the time. And this morning we are gonna explore his goodness to us because God is good and he wants to show his goodness to us that he might display his goodness through us. God wants to show his goodness to us that he might display his goodness through us. From the very beginning, God has been a good God. He made the world, he created things out of nothing and he created the earth and the animals and the plants and the people and as he overlooked what he created, he said it is good. Except he didn't say it was good, he said it's good. The creation was good because God is a good God. In the passage that we're looking at today, Peter wants us to see God's goodness towards us as well, but when Peter says goodness, what he means is God's virtuous character. God's virtuous character. In other words, every part of God's character is good, it's high quality. In fact, there's no one that has a better character or quality of character than God. Every characteristic of God is good. He is the example in every area. And God shows his goodness to us. But oftentimes we do not live in light of that goodness. We don't assume God's good intentions to us. Rather, we live our lives as if we have to prove something to God. Like we have to prove that we're good to God. 
We relate to God not as if he's good, but as if we have to earn our status with him. Like earning, I've got to get, be good to get on God's good side. But earn a status, like I've got to be good enough so I can get on God's good side so that he'll be good to me. We might not say that, but we function a lot of the times like that's true, as if God has like an ongoing Facebook status change for us. Like he's ready to friend us or unfriend us. He's ready to block us or unmute us. But the reality is, if you believe in Jesus, if you've trusted in Christ and you've turned away from your sins, you have a permanent status change that has nothing to do with what you've earned or not earned how good you are or not good you are. It has everything to do with God's goodness towards you. Look what, look what Peter says in verse two. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Grace and peace are the opposite of earning a status change. Grace is unmerited favor. It means all the goodness comes from one side of the relationship from God. It's a posture towards you as a follower of Jesus that is not based on how you perform, but based on his commitment and intention to show you grace. And peace, that fruit of the spirit, peace, refers to the permanent status change that we have with God through Jesus Christ. See, most of us live our lives as if we're doing well, then God likes us and loves us. And if we're not doing well, then he doesn't like us or love us. But the truth is, if you know Jesus Christ and you've had a permanent status change, God never unfriends, he never mutes you, he never blocks you, you are his child. You've gone from enemy to beloved child. You have peace with God. And that peace that you have with God because of that permanent status change, that works its way down into a peaceful state of mind, right? Because once you know that everything is worked out with God because of Jesus, you know he's in control, you know he's gracious towards you, you know he has peace with you, and that produces a peace in your life and in your heart, the peace of the fruit of the Spirit, and I love that Peter starts off by saying, may grace and peace be divvied out just a little bit to you. No, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Like God's continuing to, to, to give out grace and peace. God wants you to live knowing that there's more grace and more peace for you because God is good. Because God's good. And God invites you into that goodness. God invites you into his goodness. Look what Peter says in verse three. His divine power has given us everything required for life and godliness. You know, in our day and age, we often don't think about power going with goodness. We think about people using power for their own advantage. And yet what it says here about God is that God uses his power to provide something for us. In other words, he uses his power with us in mind because he's good. He uses his power to share what? All the things that we need for life and godliness. All the things that we need for life and godliness. And then look what he continues to say in verse three, through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. 
what Jesus provided or what God provided was the son, Jesus. Out of his own goodness, he gave Jesus to you that you might know Jesus, have peace with God, experience his grace, and through that grow in knowing and becoming like God. Not becoming God, but, be, but becoming like him in the sense that he is good and his character's good. You've had a permanent status change with God. And this is really amazing if you think about it because you've gone from not being godly, from rebelling against God, from having a wall of separation between you and God to through Jesus knowing God and actually being invited into the life of God where your character becomes like his. Romans 5 says this, for while we were still helpless, at the right time, Christ died for who? The ungodly. Christ died for the ungodly because God is good and his character is good. For rarely will someone die for a just person or a good person, though for a good person, perhaps someone might even dare to die, but God proves his own love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. See, the power was used to send Jesus on your behalf. God in his goodness sent the son to take the punishment that you deserved on the cross so that you could be redeemed. Just like Chevelle said, redeeming grace. Jesus was godly, but he died as if he was ungodly so that he could die in your place as an ungodly person. He took your place on the cross, he went to the tomb, but he rose again by God's power. By God's power so that you could be made alive to God and made alive to the life of God. You could live a life of godliness. Your character could be changed to become like God. And if you haven't entered into that process, the way to start is that you turn away, you recognize your ungodliness, but then you turn away from it and you turn to God and you say, I need forgiveness and I need help, I need Jesus. And God, through that process, will make you more like himself. He invites you into his goodness, which is amazing that though we were ungodly, God would invite us into his goodness and share the goodness of godliness with you. Look what he says in verse four. By these he has given us very great and precious promises so that through them you might share in the divine nature, escaping the corruption that is in the world because of evil desire. That is through his good promises, except he doesn't say good, he says great, magnificent promises, precious promises. That means promises that are valuable and worthy, like that time you get a text from that person you love at the beginning of the relationship and you read the text over and over and over and over again because it's precious to you. God's promises are precious because they make us like God. They shape our character so that we are like God's character. See, because of Jesus' death, God promised that our sins would be fully forgiven. Because God is a good, good father, he promised to send the presence of the Holy Spirit among us. And because of Jesus' goodness, he promised to complete 
the good work that he began in you, which is to make you have godly character like God. His very precious and magnificent and great promises. Paul says it this way in Ephesians 4, you have a new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. For, and then in two, he says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God's promise to you, if you know Jesus, is that he's making you like himself. He's giving you the goodness of God's character to shape you and change you. But here's the problem. The problem is that we actually don't think the godly life is the good life. Like we don't look at godliness and go, that's it. We want other things. And we think that other things besides godliness are the good life. So it's not about godly purpose or becoming like God's character or having his virtue. Rather, it's stuff, it's money, and worldly success. And we see stuff, money, and worldly success, and we say, that's it. That's the good life. And so the, pre the promises aren't precious to you because you don't see the value of being made like God. Jill Lepore from the New Yorker wrote an article about the game of life. Ever knew you played the game of life? The board game? Yeah. That game came out in 1800, over 200 years ago, and it was called the new game of human life. And when it first came out, the point of the game was to go through life in a virtuous way. Like whatever happened, the point was to do it with goodness and worthiness and to avoid the vices of life. And so parents actually use the game of life to teach their children how to walk through life with good character. And the lesson was sometimes life works out for you and sometimes it doesn't. But what the important thing is, kid, is don't fall into vices, walk with virtue through this life because God is in control and your rewards are in the life to come. That was the original version of the game of life. Well, 60 years later, a guy named Milton Bradley found this game and he co-opted it and made it his own game and it was called the checkered game of life. So he adapted it a little bit. And that game was focused on the virtues, but then he brought in money and success along with that. And not that those things are bad, but that's just how the game developed. And then eventually, 100 years later, the game came out as the game of life, which is much more similar to the game that we know. It sold 35 million copies, and the focus was very different. Virtues and vice doesn't matter. The focus of the game of life was stuff, money, and success. And the winner wasn't the most virtuous person, but the person who died or ended the game with the most stuff. And the games developed even further. I read that there was a, a version that came out just six or seven years ago where there's no value on anything. You just do whatever you want. So you get the same reward if you go scuba diving as if you donate a kidney. No virtue, no goodness to show. And I wanna ask you this, which version of the game are you playing? Which version of the game are you playing? And which version of the game do you think God's playing with you? Success is good. Money is not bad. 
Stuff is stuff. Yet God's main goal for you, the purpose of his promises, the reason he's so good to you is because he wants you to reflect his good character. God's goal for you is godliness. Whether you have stuff or whether you don't, whether you gain money or whether you don't, God's goal is not success, money, and stuff. Rather, it is godliness. So watch out that you're, play, that you're not playing a game of life, a version of the game of life that God himself is not playing. Because being like God is more important than whether you have stuff or don't. Being like God is more important than accumulating wealth. Because giving is more important than gaining. Loving people well is more important than tallying up experiences in your life. Those things aren't bad, they're just not as important as godliness, as the goodness of godly character. And the funny thing is, we do still think that the good life is money, success, achievements, stuff, but the reality is, and what Peter says, all those things have been corrupted escaping the corruption that is in the world because of evil desire. We look at those things, success, stuff, money, pleasure, and we go, if I can only have those, it will make me more fully alive. It will make me more human. It will give me the life I want. And what the reality is, is those things often just bring more corruption in our hearts and more corruption in our lives. They're not bad. And yet the evil of the human heart can corrupt anything. Because you and I tend to love ourselves more than we love God. We tend to love pleasure more than we love goodness. 2 Timothy 3 puts it this way, but know this, hard times will come in the last days for people will be lovers of self. Lovers of boastful, proud, demeaning, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, without love for what is, without love for what is good. Traitors, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Lovers of money, pleasure, and self, not lovers of God, and not lovers of the good. There was a movie that came out in about the year 2000 called The Beach. The Beach with Leonardo DiCaprio. And in the film, Leo is like a young 20-year-old, and he goes to Thailand, and he wants to have this adventure in Thailand. You're nodding your head because you've seen it. And while he's there in Thailand, he finds out about the secret island with this beautiful beach. And there's supposed to be maybe this commune that lives on the island and, and no one really knows where it is and no one knows how to get there, but Leo finds a map and he travels to this beach because he hears it's this paradise and there's this community there that is formed living in paradise. And he gets to the island and he sees the beautiful beach and it's amazing. And he sees the beautiful lagoon and half the island is covered with marijuana crop. And in the movie, he says, I gave myself over to pursuing pleasure. And he does in, in the movie. 
He does. Parties, sex, no authority, just doing whatever he wants. But the funny thing is, we first watch that movie and we think he's becoming more fully alive. The reality is the community is becoming less and less human as the movie goes along. They're getting exactly what they want. They're loving themselves. They're loving pleasure. And the community starts to disintegrate because one of the members of the community gets brutally injured and needs instant medical help. And they have a decision to make. We can either go back to the mainland and get a doctor and bring him here. But if we do that, our secret paradise will no longer be a secret and we'll have to leave. We can either do good or we can let this guy die. And everyone in the group says, let him die. Let's let him stay. And as he's in pain and as he's dying, it's becoming so grotesque for the community to to listen to that they actually move him and put him out of the community in a tent, far away from the community so they don't have to think about him, so he doesn't interrupt their pleasure. And one night, the, the, the darkest moment in the movie is one night Leo goes out and just kills him. Leo's character will say, in the perfect beach resort, nothing is allowed to interrupt the pursuit of pleasure, not even dying. And here this community is in this island paradise and it destroys itself because of the corruptness of human heart, because people are lovers of pleasure, not lovers of good, because they're lovers of themselves, not lovers of God. And as soon as Leo kills this guy, the community basically disintegrates. There's arguments over who slept with who and there's power struggles on who's gonna lead the community next and paradise falls apart because of the corruption of the human hearts. Because people don't love what's good. You know what the right decision was with that injured man and yet in the midst of all that pleasure and loving of self, they could not make the right decision. But here's the good news for you if you know Jesus. God saved you out of loving yourself so that you could love God. God saved you out of making pleasure your God so that you could pursue good. God shows his goodness to you and he shares the goodness of godliness with you so that God can display the goodness of godliness through you. In other words, God wants to show the world who, you, who he is by making you more like him. He wants you to be different. He, want, he doesn't want you to fall into the corruption of the world, but rather display goodness to a broken world that's dying and thirsty for goodness. And God actually calls you to partner with him in that, to take action based on everything that he's given you, based on his grace and his mercy and his peace and his promises and his goodness. He calls you to build on everything that he's done for you. Listen to how he says it in verse five and seven, five through seven. For this reason, make every effort. Make every effort to supplement your faith with goodness, goodness with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, Self-control with endurance, endurance with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. 
Make every effort. Effort is not opposed to grace, right? Grace is opposed to earning, but not effort. Because God has done everything that you need to grow in him. He's provided with everything, like a building with a foundation. He has laid it for you. And now he says, make every effort to supplement or add to your faith. Build on the foundation of his promises and his goodness. And so supplement your faith with what? With goodness. Supplement your faith with goodness. In other words, study the character of God. Know his good excellent and moral character and that will begin to change you. When you see his kindness to you, like we saw last week, you become more kind. When you see his love for you, you grow in love. When you see his concern for justice, you pursue justice. And when you see his goodness, it changes you. You don't just do good things to prove you're a good person, but there's a deep sense that your heart changes and you love what's good more than you love yourself. Add to your faith goodness and add to that goodness knowledge. Knowledge of who he is and knowledge of his will. Knowledge of what God wants and desires for you. Oftentimes when I talk to people, they say they wanna just know God's will. And we all want that. We all wanna know what God's will is for our families, for our jobs, for our careers, for this church, everything, we wanna know that. But oftentimes we're so focused on what God has not revealed about his will that we just skip over what God has revealed about his will, like scripture. God talks about what he wants all the time. And if we really wanna know God's will, it's all throughout scripture. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians. He says, see to it that no one replays evil for, for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good for one another for, and for all, because this is God's will. Rejoice always, pray constantly, give thanks in everything, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And so, so often we wanna know who God is and we wanna know his will, here it is. Don't repay evil to anyone, pursue what is good for, one, for each other and for all. Rejoice always, pray constantly, give thanks in everything for this is God's will for you. And then in chapter four he says this, this is God's will, your sanctification, that you keep away from sexual immorality that each of you knows how to control his own body and holiness and honor, not with lustful passions. God's will keep away from sexual immorality. Control your own body. Don't let the desires and passions of your heart overtake what you do. Which is interesting, add to your faith goodness, add to the goodness knowledge, add to the knowledge self-control. Self-control, control of self. That is to say, you choose God's good design over your desires. You choose God's good design over your desires. In our culture, we're told that desire just happens to us. Like it just happens and you just have to respond. You can't control it. But 
part of the fruit of the spirit is self-control. Where you bring your desires under the design of God. And if it matches up, you follow. If it doesn't, you say no. You control yourself so that you're not overcome with your desires. See, listen, if my desire is to speak badly about some person, I need the Holy Spirit's help to follow God's design because my mouth isn't used for speaking bad about people. It's used to lift others up. So I need to learn self-control with my mouth. Listen, if my desire is to have sex with somebody who is not my spouse, that might be my desire, but that is not God's design. God's design is for sex to be fulfilling within the context of a husband and wife in covenantal marriage. And if my desire is to escape, listen, if I'm stressed and I just wanna take one puff or I just wanna have one night at the bar where we tie one on because I need to relieve some stress, that's my desire, but God's design for me is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Do not get drunk on wine, but instead be filled with the Holy Spirit. We need to bring our desires in line with the design and we can do that with the power of the Holy Spirit as we add self-control to goodness and knowledge of God's will. Add to your faith goodness, add to the goodness knowledge, add to the knowledge self-control, add endurance, godliness, brotherly affection, and love. Add those things, pursue those things, make every effort to learn about those things and soak in those things and pray about those things that God might produce these things in you. Because by God's grace, you can build on the good things that he's done for you. By God's grace, you can use his promises to become more like God. Not become God, but become more like God's good character. By his goodness, you can grow in his grace because he's good. And we're so focused on what we have to say no to that we forget that God really wants us to live this joy-filled life, living in the midst of his goodness, knowing that he's making us more like him because he's good. And he wants to share with us who he is. And as we become like him, we're really becoming more who we were created to be. Look how Peter ends this passage. If you possess these qualities in increasing measure, I love that he doesn't say perfect measure, increasing, you're growing, you're building on what God has done. They will keep you from being useless or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. The person who lacks these things is blind and short-sighted and has forgotten the cleansing from his past sins. Therefore, brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election because if you do these things, if you do these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, entry into the eternal kingdom, the new city of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be richly provided for you. See, as you grow in these things, as you grow in God's goodness and knowledge and self-control and love, your life experience changes. You get used by God. You produce fruit in your life that you did not think that you could produce. And your confidence changes. 
Because you more boldly are willing to say, my sins are forgiven. I see God working in my life. I know that he's changing me. I know that he's forgiven my past sins. I know that I'm saved because he's changing me now and that's the very evidence of it. And as you walk in that, it will keep you from falling away from the Lord because as you experience God's goodness more and more and more, who would walk away from a good God? who loves you and cares about you and wants to share his goodness with you and is preparing you right now to spend eternity with him forever. To spend eternity with a good, good God in a heavenly city who will shower you with his goodness for eternity. See, when we say God is good and then you say all the time, we really do mean all the time into eternity forever. So God is good? And all the time? Let's pray. God, we thank you that we get to live this life knowing a good, good God. We pray that you would help us add to our faith, building on the grace and the promises by grace and goodness that you would help us to add goodness, to add knowledge of you, to add self-control, to add love. Thank you that because of the spirit in us, we can participate with you. Change each of us, help us to love you and goodness more than we love ourselves and pleasure. Jesus, thank you. All this is possible because of you and you alone. And all God's people said, would you stand and sing with me?